0: You're listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. So, my name is Marcus Manuel. Um, And I have the privilege of being a senior research associate here at the Overseas Development Institute. I've been here for the last eight years. Previously I was at the Treasury, previously I was at the Department for International Development. But I started my career dealing with the Commonwealth debt recording management system uh, uh, for two years in Fiji, uh, which we managed to use in order to work out which debts we were able to repay because he had, so we had some other expensive stuff we were able to prepay early, much to the annoyance of the lenders who thought they could just carry on taking very large sums of money from Fiji. Anyway, so that worked rather well, but um, things have moved on a long way from there, but it's really nice to um, be reflecting back on these challenges. <coughs> so yesterday we talked a lot about um, what are the factors that could trigger another debt crisis, um, and I think, you know, and how can we avoid that happening again? Um, Clearly, governments in all this have got the primary role in making these these decisions. and Therefore, this session does focus very much on what country officials can be doing in borrowing countries to keep debt on a sustainable path. Obviously, domestic resource mobilisation is part of the answer, um, but managing debt uh, well is another key element of that process. Um, But that is now becoming more difficult and more challenging. Um, because the instruments are available are more complicated, uh, there are more options out there, uh, and certainly what I learned 30 years ago would not have been sufficient to manage the challenges that we now face. Um, also, there's an increasing gap emerging between grant and concessional financing and how countries seek to, to manage that. So, And at the same time, we've got the continued vulnerability to the external circumstances. Uh, I was just talking to Godfrey about the challenges in Uganda uh, and how they have sought to manage that process. Um, So, I think the picture that came out yesterday, there are some countries that are in uh, debt distress uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, and the numbers are rising, which is what is uh, of concern and is prompting this event. But also, and this is a point to pick up today, there are some countries that are managing it very well. Uh, And therefore, I'm really delighted that we've got two examples of that here today on our panel, both Uganda uh, and Sierra Leone. And also, in part of the process, there are a range of institutions that are seeking to support countries to ensure they uh, manage this process really well. Um, and so, again, delighted, I'll introduce a panel in a second. But we've got people who are also involved in trying to help countries manage their debt. So we've got both sides of that process in here. So the three questions that we want to try and answer today. Um, and first of all, what has it been? What are the factors? that have enabled some countries to borrow responsibly following debt relief. So uh, both Uganda and Sierra Leone have benefited from HIPPIC debt relief in the past, and they are now managing sustainably. So how have they managed to do that, and what are the lessons for other countries? Secondly, what are the challenges they now face given the evolving financial landscape um, to ensure that they do remain on a sustainable path? And thirdly, given these challenges, how can the providers of technical assistance best support national authorities and ensure that they, they remain on track? So, I would at this stage like to uh, introduce our uh, panellists So, on this side and uh, going across. So, Gofrey uh, Datema, he is the Commissioner of Debt Policy and Issuance in the Ministry of Finance, Planning and Economic Development in Uganda. Um, I think it's quite striking. I worked for many years in Uganda and there was no commission of debt policy. I think the fact there is one is a reflection of what Uganda has chosen to do and I'm delighted that Godfrey is in that role uh, and taken up that, that role uh, quite recently. Uh, next to him, Charles Conti, who is head of the Public Debt Management Division in the Ministry of Finance and Economic Development in Sierra Leone, where he's played that role for many years—I uh, think at least 15 years—in various roles globally and regionally, uh, advising on debt. So, two people with real intense and deep experience of their own countries. I'm delighted that Baba Musa has come to join us. Uh, he is uh, currently the director of the Debt Management Department at the West Africa Institute for Finance and Economic Management, WAFEM. Um, so for, 15, for over 10 years, he's been involved in advising West African governments and supporting them around that. Um, and for his efforts, he's actually now been about to be promoted, and he is director general designate of the entire institute. So congratulations on that uh, that role, which will start in, in, in January. Perhaps we can have you back again at that point and introduce you as the director general. Um, Uh, Then I'm delighted to introduce my colleague from the Overseas Development Institute, uh, Shakira Mustafa, who has put together a lot of this conference, as you may be vaguely aware from behind the scenes. Um, uh, She's also a research fellow here. Uh, and she focuses on public financial management reforms as well as debt sustainability and management. And typically, when she wrote up herself, she admitted what I think is the other really interesting part of her CV was that she actually spent, she comes from Trinidad and Tobago uh, and spent many years there actually working on public investment issues as well. So she also is not just a researcher, but has actually done it for real. Uh, And then finally, uh, Carolina Rentiara, who is the division chief of one of the public financial management divisions of the IMF, Fiscals Affairs Department, uh, which many of you will know, many of you are involved in, many of you have been supported by, um, and so they're responsible for delivering uh, capacity development and developing comprehensive public financial management analyticals agenda. But like many of our panelists, she also has a prior role. Previously, she was the Minister of Planning and a member of the President's Uh, cabinet in Colombia and was also for many years the National Budget Director and the Senior Advisor to the Council of Fiscal Policy. So she knows very much at first hand what it is to face issues around financing and how do you balance aspirations against financing. So with that, um, you can see why we are so pleased and honoured to bring five practitioners uh, to the room and to share their insights. Um, And I'll start first of all turning to Godfrey. Um, Please do. uh, share your experience and how is it that, that Uganda, I, I came to Uganda at the time that debt relief had just been, been, been awarded, uh, and you and I worked together about how to spend that money well, um, but it's good to hear about how you've managed to keep things on track since then. But thank you very much. Over to you. Uh, thank you, Marcus. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That's wrong. Yep. Uh, no. I think it's that one. That way. That, way. that way. And that one. Thank oh, okay. you. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: uh, like Marcus has introduced, uh, i here to share the Uganda's experience. Once again, my name is Godfrey Datimo, Commissioner Education Policy and uh, uh, issuance, uh, Data Policy and uh, Issuance. Uh, Uganda is just a small country by way of introduction, uh, located in East Africa, with a small GDP, less than $27 billion. The per capita is about 700 uh, dollars, but we still have an ambitious plan to reach the middle-income status. And uh, the next two years, that means our GDP per capita should be slightly more than a thousand. We remain ambitious. Uh, debt has uh, evolved over time, particularly after there was some. Uh, Uh, Set of peace after the and so on. So we started borrowing in 1980s, and by 1991 we're getting into crises already. Uh, 1991 there was uh, uh, debt to GDP, if we can still go by that, uh, exceeding eight percent. And for that matter, we started getting into uh, strategies. Debt relief, like uh, Marcus has entered on it, we were fully involved. And uh, Uganda was one of the, actually, the first country to qualify for the HIPIC uh, before we get, it, we got also the opportunity to uh, benefit from the uh, Machato Debt Relief Initiative. Uh, the current debt uh, situation and its uh, uh, management uh, is such that uh, uh, total uh, debt is about 10.5, 10.65 uh, uh, billion uh, dollars. Uh, this mainly uh, constituted of the external, and in terms of uh, uh, composition, uh, it is uh, about 67, uh, 30, 33, 67 uh, external. Uh, we are doing the public uh, debt management from uh, a number of uh, policy frameworks. We have uh, a public debt management uh, uh, framework which provides the objectives and also benchmarks for, for borrowing. We also have the uh, debt management, uh, sorry, the medium-term uh, debt management uh, strategy. Uh, every year we cut out uh, the debt uh, strategy analysis. But of course, we also have a law uh, that uh, uh, where we fit in terms of uh, public finance and management. Uh, that table, I don't know whether you can see from where you're seated, but we're trying to provide the debt cost and the risk indicators. And with the risk indicators, we're focusing on the refinancing, we're focusing on the interest rate. And uh, uh, we are focusing on the exchange uh, rate uh, risk. If you can't see, uh, in terms of for, uh, for refinancing, uh, we are looking at uh, the average time to maturity. And we are seeing that uh, for domestic debt, uh, this is uh, generally uh, increasing. Uh, so this is generally falling for the debt that matures in uh, one year. And this is fitting within the policy because we want to have long-term domestic debt. Well, uh, by default, the external one is uh, falling because o- over time, we are beginning to take on short-term uh, debts because we cannot continue uh, relying on uh, concessional long-term uh, uh lenders uh much as we wish the they minute to be there and we have a lot of uh, uh, programs which require short term uh, for <coughs> for interest rates uh we aim at uh, having fixed uh, interest rates uh, all the domestic debt has its uh, uh, interest rates fixed external uh, over 96 percent is fixed because of uh, recent need for more and urgent funding, uh, we now have some uh, variable interest rate uh, fix uh, For exchange uh, rate risk, uh, the aim is to uh, go domestic, but we cannot afford. Like we discussed yesterday, we still have uh, a weak <laughs> domestic uh, uh, market. So inevitably, we remain with some more risk. However, we have. Uh, uh, over uh, just so, you got two more minutes. Uh, two more minutes? What? Well, so, how have we sustained uh, uh, our data strategy? This is the gist of the matter. Uh, that one I've already gone through more or less uh, uh, the average time to maturity, data maturing, and so on. We shall just move. Uh, that one we've gone through. Uh, I think what we are uh, now look at, what we will look at now are the emerging challenges. Uh, the other six were uh, focused on them and were managing uh, them very well, but uh, emerging uh, challenges. Growing fiscal deficit uh, due to slow growth in revenue to GDP, this has been a, uh, a problem. We also have uh, debt that is less uh, concession that is coming up as we develop. We have uh, poor report performance that hinders extended debt uh, uh, service. Low absorption capacity. This is a very big problem, especially in terms of uh, big projects. The big projects or mega projects we are referring to, uh, going slow mainly because of uh, compensation of the affected uh, people, uh, but also counterpart funding. The other minister talked about it. It's a big uh, challenge. Uh, we also now have increased targets uh, in terms of uh, uh, as we move towards uh, the middle income status have supplementary budgets, and almost all supplementary budgets, the petition will say borrow from the domestic market, uh, this tends to uh, raise the interest uh, uh, rates and uh, crowd out the, uh, the private sector. In terms of uh, way forward for the growing uh, fiscal deficit, uh, the revenue that uh, uh, we are looking at uh, Trying to mobilize more revenue. Our domestic revenue to GDP is quite small compared to the region. So, we're trying to come up with a strategy which we're trying to focus on to uh, widen the base. Uh, We're also trying to say uh, much as we are moving, as we develop, moving up from a concessional, the concessional borrowing, uh, concessionality is taken into account. As per the framework, for every borrowing that we do, we weigh what kind of uh, concessionality is there. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, low absorption capacity, uh, we're trying to address uh, uh, this by addressing matters due to do with the compensations and so on. Uh, Should I, could,
0: so I guess we end on this slide because we're just over time now. So, so is there so It's over? Yeah, thank you. So. I stop there? Yeah, you stop there. Thank, thank, you. You, thank much. you so much. <laughs> that was just a brilliant whistle-top store. Thank you. We can, come, but we can come back to that one uh, later on. But okay. thank you. Charles, I just wanted to, so we can just keep capturing the range of experience we have. Charles, over to you. Talk to us. Take us through about Sierra Leone.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Of course, I'm Charles, and uh, Sierra Leone is a very small country with um, a population of about 7, seven million. Um, its GDP is about um, $4 billion. Um, by end of, by, 20, uh, by 2006, our total debt was $1.6 billion. Sierra Leone reached EP completion point in December 2006. So by end, of 20, by, by end of 2007, our debt reduced dramatically from $1.6 billion to $530 million, um, and in fact collapsing from 122% of GDP to 26% of GDP within one year. So that provided fiscal space for government to support reconstruction effort because, mind you, before that, Leone had gone through a brutal conflict, 10 years of civil war, and so we needed resources to support uh, reconstruction effort and to build the, the social sector, education, health, and as the case may be. So it is within that context that we had to hook onto a, to an IMF program. In terms of what we did as a country to support, to ensure sustainable debt path right through, Firstly, was to ensure that we, we, we built we build a key people team, a DSA team, um, from within, the one from Ministry of Finance, um, um, Bank of Sierra Leone, congenital's uh, department, NRA, and all of the relevant players within the macroeconomic environment. We we're, were able to pull several players from from, 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 from such institutions to build this, this national team. So since 2007, after completion point, we have been conducting annual DSA, okay, on an annual basis so that that um, effort has been providing signals in terms of debt direction and policy feedback to, 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 to authorities to guide uh, 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 fiscal policy management and, of course, within that context, policy policy management as well. Um, in addition to that, basically, um, there has been an active MTDS uh, uh, medium-term debt strategy in place to guide you know, debt management practices going forward, which is also crucial in that direction. But within the context of an IMF program, you know, as an, as, as an ID country, we are not supposed to borrow, uh, 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 non-concessionally, and defined by the, by the threshold of 35% grant element. So since, we, since that huge stock cancellation in 2007, we had never uh, 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 borrowed commercially, externally. So I mean, that was, one key, that was one key consideration that kept our debt very low. In as much as there were several approaches, given the, the huge infrastructure deficits. Across all sectors, I talk about energy sector agriculture education tourism there are a lot of gaps in terms of <coughs> in terms of uh, resource uh, 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 needs for government to support and and, and to provide such a, to fill those gaps but we decided consistent with the DSC outcome and MTDS, we decided to still with concessional and and, and 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 grant resources consistent with the MF program as well and what is also key is, 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 is what we did, given the, the regulatory framework. Before 2011, you know, um, even though the Constitution and other um, legal instruments provided for Boeing, but these, we are not consolidated. Okay, so what government did was to, to enact the Public Debt Management Act in 2011. It provided two, uh, 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 um, two um, giant conditions. Firstly, it gave the Minister of Finance to become the sole agent to borrow on behalf of government. Before, before that time, every minister, ambassadors, were committing government uh, across all sectors. But what the act did was to say no. It is the Minister of Finance that <coughs> is mandated by government, by Parliament, to borrow on behalf. So that alone uh, checked, you know, that 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 radical uh, borrowing exposure uh, across all sectors. And 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 also within the context, <coughs> within the context of the act. There are provisions that, that, that restrain local councils and SOEs from borrowing externally. And if they are to borrow domestically, they have to seek the approval of the Minister of Finance. So that, again, helps us to, to cushion the aspect of contingent liability exclusion from local councils and state-owned enterprises. And um, 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 what most, most importantly was the MTDS, medium-term debt strategy. OK? We, we, give, we, 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 we decided to, 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 to give that a priority. Because of the, the impact it has on policy information, what we feed to uh, policymakers that's internally to certain political decisions. We, we are able to, 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 to contribute a lot of effort, as I said, from various players, the Bank of Sierra Leone, on the multi policy side, um, university, univ- uh, university of Sierra Leone, we are also part of the team, even the civil society organization. To get their feedback because they, inter, in, they, they intermediate with the wider the right public, they are also part of that that arrangement as well. So, we are able to put in place a robust uh, medium-term strategy over time to guide debt management practices going forward. And and in terms of the. the also, in addition to the public debt management, uh, there are a lot of reforms, public financial management reform, right across the board. There was the establishment of the, the National Revenue Authority, uh, agency responsible for for. Um, for, for, for revenue administration, and we enacted series of, uh, of legislation. The, the, the Bank of Sierra Leone Act was also enacted. Um, the Audit Service alone, um, um, the, um, the, the Local Government Finance Act. So there are a lot of regulations that helped, you know, to, to strengthen public financial management, you know, prior, after uh, uh, um, EP completion point, to help us to manage government exposure, right across central, local government, and as the case may be. But in terms of, uh, of challenges, um, um, in 2014, as all of you will be aware that time, we, we are hit with what we to as a twin shock, the Ebola, and of course the collapse in our prices. So this actually led to deterioration in, in, in external debt exposure. Yeah. Um, before 2014, we are comfortably at a moderate rate of debt distress, but because of these shocks, um, it, did, it, it led to deterioration and in, 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 in liquidity in the case of particular revenue and debt service to revenue and debt, and debt service to export. So that's a challenge. And also, given fiscal slippages in recent past, there has been a huge buildup in domestic debt. Okay. So from tw- uh, at end of 2017, domestic debt uh, was about, um, even though it's, it's, it's accounted for 28% of the total debt portfolio. Um, um, compared to external debt of, 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 of 72% each year, do me, um, domestic debt service to domestic uh, <coughs> budget revenue was um, 19.7% compared to 9.7% of external debt. So you can see the mismatch in terms of the stock and, and liquidity indicators. Then also the PPP arrangements, new arrangements for PPPs are coming up, there are risk on the liabilities that we, ha- we, ha- we have to manage. But interestingly, last month, um, government had to cancel, there was this debt of $200 million to finance um, uh, um, an airport from the Chinese. But because of the impact, not only the stock, the level of exposure, the volume, but also the scope of the project and other ancillary costs that could be triggered if government was, decide, uh, if government was, was to go on with, with that particular project. So government had to withdraw, had to cancel such a loan with its own implications as, as the case may be.
0: So thank, thank you. That was perfect timing, Charles. Thank you and for a, just a really great overview. Um, just really interesting and thank you for the two complimenting each other so well. Baba Musa.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I would start from where Charles stopped. Um, obviously, uh, with the presentation of the two uh, uh, speakers before me, uh, it was clear, that, I mean it is clear that um, the, in many of uh, the uh, developing countries and indeed African countries, we have uh, an improved legal framework for public debt management uh, in the last decade. Uh, so most countries have passed sound debt management laws that uh, uh, mandate only the Minister of Finance uh, to, to borrow on behalf of government. That is a, a great achievement, uh, I think, in terms of uh, uh, sanitizing the the situation uh, in, in Africa. But in addition to the legal framework, having a sound legal framework, uh, the managerial structure has also improved. Uh, if you look at the uh, most of the, uh, the African countries, there is a clear den- uh, delineation of responsibilities in most of the debt offices. By that I mean there is a separation between those who are involved in uh, borrowing or the front office uh, uh, function. Uh, with the middle office uh, function, at the same time those who are uh, are doing the recording uh, or conducting the the back offices uh, function. So that delineation in the managerial structure has improved at least in most uh, of the countries. And again, uh, there is also we've noticed that over the years uh, improvement in coordination between fiscal and monetary policy. So uh, that coordination uh, between the fiscal and monetary policy. Assist in uh, getting some of the macro uh, variables uh, right, so uh, you know it resulted into reduction in uh, uh, some of uh, the requirement for 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 borrowing, and generally again there's an improvement uh, in the technical capacity of uh, the staff of the debt management offices. Uh, You heard uh, from Sierra Leone and Uganda that uh, they now conduct. uh, uh, debt sustainability analysis annually on their own uh, with little or no technical assistance uh, that has been the the case uh, in in most uh, of the countries. so we have seen general improvement in uh, all all these uh, areas and again also we also noticed that uh, the domestic uh, debt market is improving so these are all uh, positive uh, uh, signs that uh, Shows an improvement in the landscape of uh, debt management. But above all, uh, we had yesterday from the uh, presentation of uh, Antonia uh, and the question that uh, she was asked about uh, how she managed Liberia's debt and the, 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 the very basic thing uh, for any uh, sound public borrowing is having political commitment. So if you have a political commitment, and the right person in the hem of affairs, uh, as Minister of Finance, you will always see prudent debt management. But where you don't have the political commitment and, uh, uh, and uh, the right person is not there, then of course uh, that poses a, a very big risk uh, to, to public uh, debt management. So this is uh, what we see as uh, part of the reason why you have uh, uh, for countries that had, uh, maintain a sustainable. Uh, debt management. But let's, uh, one more thing is uh, having some uh, macroeconomic framework and uh, in most of those countries uh, you realize that uh, their macroeconomic framework uh, is uh, basically um, considered as a, a sound. So these are factors that uh, make those countries to maintain debt uh, at a sustainable level. Now what are the challenges that evolve in the Uh, uh, in the landscape. Well, as uh, was discussed yesterday, uh, obviously the the landscape for financing has changed tremendously after the the debt relief. Most African countries now go for non-concessional funding. Uh, There are emergence of uh, new creditors, but the emergence of the new creditors had actually posed a a big challenge uh, to a lot of uh, countries. The, the biggest challenge has to do, of course, with the capacity to uh, for for negotiation. Uh, many people complain about uh, borrowing from from China, but uh, you know, borrowing from China is not really bad if you have the capacity to negotiate well. We have seen the case of Rwanda that uh, was able to manage uh, at least borrow effectively from from China and they manage the the, the resources well. Uh, other countries do complain because. Uh, first, they are not technically prepared in terms of uh, uh, negotiation, but also uh, <coughs> uh, I, I think the, the political authority also uh, need to have uh, n- need to build their own uh, capacity uh, in the in the negotiation process. But also, we notice a, a big challenge between uh, the political authority or decision makers and the technical uh, uh, people. In most cases, you find a disconnect between what the technicians do and propose to the political authorities and what the political authorities actually take to to implement uh, the recommendations that uh, that uh, the technical officials uh, provided. So uh, in my view, there is need uh, really to now focus the, the capacity building and engagement in the, uh, with the political authorities to be able to appreciate the work that the technical officials uh, do uh, in, in, in their recommendations. But other challenges are also have to do with uh, the, the capacity of uh, the institutions beyond the central government. Uh, in terms of reporting debt uh, numbers, uh, the SOEs really do not have uh, adequate capacity to, to, uh, to report. Well, uh, What can technical service providers do? Just uh, uh, one very basic point. I think the coordination among uh, in service provider uh, among service providers is very key uh, to maintaining sustainable capacity. The debt management facility of uh, the World Bank and the IMF came and uh, actually improved the provision of uh, service provider providers. I think coordination among all the service providers that will really help in improving the capacity of uh, uh, debt management going forward. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Um, thank you for just following so seamlessly across and picking up some of the border issues as well. Shakira. Sure. Um, yeah, and we'd uh, be quite used to, it to it. if I gave you the clicker, wouldn't it? Yes,
4: <laughs> thank, you. Sure. thank you, Marcus. Uh, so, um, I'm a research fellow here at ODI and I'll be speaking uh, mostly about managing the public investment projects, given that it's something that's been talked about a bit throughout this conference. So, first of all, just to recognise, that despite this recent surge in investment across the region, sub-Saharan African countries have an infrastructure gap, without a doubt, compared to these pay- uh, their pairs, the regional pairs. They're lagging behind, <coughs> uh, as shown in this, in this graph, in terms of electricity supply, paved road density, public education infrastructure, telecommunications infrastructure, and access to water. Given this infrastructure deficit, it is therefore not surprising that several governments see borrowing as a means of addressing it. Government borrowing to finance public investments is an essential part of any country's macroeconomic toolkit. This is true for even advanced countries who have this golden rule of borrowing to invest rather in, in infrastructure rather than to pay recurrent expenditure, like silver servant wages. The underlying logic is that while debt finance productive investments, could raise a country's debt ratios in the short run, it could eventually lead, if done well, to higher growth, revenues and exports, and which will over time would lead to lower debt ratios. However, as mentioned in previously, some countries that have funded development and infrastructure through borrowing have failed to generate sufficient additional tax revenues to repay that debt. In many cases, countries have not been effective at capturing the return on their investments through their tax systems. This is especially worrying when you take into account that the composition of debt is changing, becoming less concessional. In fact, there has been a surge in borrowing and non uh, non concessional borrowing on the continent in post HIPPIC countries for infrastructure. This includes Ghana, Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Zambia three of these countries of of which are considered high risk of death distress. So that brings us to the million dollar question. (coughs) Why are projects not repaying themselves, despite being infrastructure? First of all, investing in infrastructure is challenging. That's because infrastructure projects tend to be lumpy, requiring a large volume of of upfront financing, while the returns are only realized several years later. They're one-off, often making it difficult to estimate cost. They they create assets that, to get the value from that asset, it needs to be maintained, which means more expenditure over years. Also, they take several years to complete. And this means sometimes governments change, which can have an adverse impact on the project continuing. Uh, There's a famous study that looked at uh, the cost and time overruns. (coughs) in the construction sector, as shown in this graph. And it did this for developed and developing countries. And they showed that in all cases, their cost and time overruns were common. The overruns were particularly significant for sub-Saharan Africa. The, the bottom bar is for Ethiopia. And it found that there was an average time overrun of 130% and a cost overrun of 60%. Just a disclaimer, this is from 2011. So things could have improved significantly since then. Right? More recent studies, however, find that public investment in sub-Saharan Africa countries generally appear to be less effective when it comes to generating growth compared to their peer countries. Thus, just asking what is uh, debt used for, recurrent in- versus infrastructure, is not enough. Projects will may not repay themselves. So, if pouring funds into roads, railways, ports, and power is to boost the economy rather than trigger a debt crisis, then improving the efficiency of public investment management is critical. The IMF and World Bank have recognized this and have significantly stepped up their work in this area. You just have to pick up any Article re- for, for reports of any sub-Saharan African country, and I'm pretty sure one of the recommendations, recommendations is to improve the efficiency of public investment management. So the support in this area has uh, focused a lot in improving diagnostic frameworks, which aim to assess the quality of the public investment management system, uh, to identify the processes or institutions that are weak, and to suggest, on the basis of this, potential reforms to reduce to that eventually lead to less costs and time overruns. This slide provides an example of the IMF's PIMA, Public Investment Management Assessment Tool, which I believe Carolina may speak about briefly as well. It provides a comprehensive assessment of what the IMF sees as the 15 key institutions for planning, allocating, implementing public investment projects. Uh, Just to say briefly, based on this assessment, uh, all the sub-Saharan African countries perform relatively well in paper. In practice, public investment management is less effective. And in particular, they can improve public investment management efficiency according to this assessment by improving the selection of projects and appraisals, uh, improving the credibility of multi-year budgeting, and improving the monitoring of projects during actual implementation. So this is a, a, some caution when it comes to moving these from these diagnostic tools to reforms. All the diagnostics are useful to telling us which capacities are weak and need of reform. Caution must be exercised when using them to formulate a reform plan. First, there's always a danger that diagnostics automatically turn the identified weaknesses into a blueprint for reform without taking account the local context, particularly pl- underlying political incentives. Given that a lot of the poor infrastructure <coughs> outcomes are related to these underlying political incentives, a reform strategy that l- relies purely on a narrow technical or techn- um, technocratic leadership is unlikely to be successful. Reforms need to find creative ways to address and work around more f- fundamental incentive problems that underlie these technical weaknesses. And just on, to be on a more positive note, there are good examples of this happening on the continent. A good example a, a second, secondly, secondly, uh, it's important to focus on how systems actually function and not just how they look according to these diagnostics. Um, for example, the, a country may have, seem to have an investment appraisal system and screening system in place, But if the criteria is so vague that any project could get through, then that tells you that the system probably isn't functioning as it should. Finally, I would like to say that the PIMA, the the IMF diagnostic tool, focuses almost exclusively on budgetary institutions. But in a lot of countries, sometimes the budgetary institutions aren't the main bottleneck to investment efficiency. Sometimes it has to do with the processes for land acquisition. So finally, I just want to say that any diagnostic tool can be used poorly or well. The PIMA, also the DAMPER, which is a, the assessment tool for de- debt management. What matters most is that it contributes to an analysis that engages all the key stoke- stakeholders in discuss- discussing and fixing parts of the problems. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Shakira. And finally, Carolina.
4: Thank you.
5: This one. Okay. <laughs> Shakira, thank you. And my, my welcome. <laughs> OK, so thank you. And I just want to pick up on what was mentioned yesterday a few times, what, what is. It's good we are paying a lot of attention to debt dynamics, but what about what is behind the dynamics? And more what we are not recognizing. And there was a lot of mention of my, management of debt in public corporations and, and, and uh, contingent liabilities and other fiscal risks. So the fund after the global crisis, and especially FAD, started to look more at what went wrong during the global crisis, and what can we look beyond the dynamics to understand and prevent future crises as the one that we have happened in 2009. And basically, uh, the IMF and the Fiscal Affairs Department has come up with different analytical and diagnostic tools, and I agree with Shakira. This is just one way of approaching the problem. It should never be seen as the Final point, it's only the starting point. You go to the doctor to find out what's going wrong, but you know that in the first meeting you're not going to be uh, healthy. You just need to identify what's your problem. So first in 2014, the fiscal transparency code was published to go beyond understanding of central government. Is We need to look at general government. We need to look at public corporations. We need to expand the coverage. Of what we are analyzing and where, what we are reporting on. In 2016, the fiscal re- there was a, a fiscal risk framework was developed in order to give countries tools so that ca- they can analyze, identify, analyze, mitigate, and manage fiscal risks. We, are, we don't have to sit with our arms crossed to let fiscal risk just materialize. We need to proactive manage them. Is the message behind this. A, a new tool that was developed in 2016 between the World Bank and the IMF, the PIFRAM, the PPP Fiscal Risk Management Assessment Model, it allows countries to assess the risk of PPP contracts, contract by contract. So it's, you take the legal contract and you put it in this framework. This is very, very important because it was mentioned PPPs is a source of getting private sector to help us develop more infrastructure to be able to close the gaps. But it is also true that if you don't negotiate well these contracts, down the road they are going to be so much more expensive and they are going to get fiscal space from future public investment just because your contract, you did not pay enough attention. And the other thing, and it was mentioned that I come from Colombia, a developing country, when you compare the lawyers in the Ministry of Finance who are negotiating with the lawyers of this very big infrastructure company, you do see that there's a lot of learning that has to be done in the national government. So understanding the risk behind contracts is very important. Then we developed the fiscal stress test tool, which is a simulation of when you put countries in, in, in with shocks, what kind of Um, trend is the debt going to have? What kind of fiscal risks are going to materialize when I start having this fiscal stress test? And finally, our most recent work, which was just uh, presented uh, in the annual meetings in, in Bali, which is the balance sheet approach to fiscal policy, which is the most comprehensive effort to expand, expand to the whole of the public sector expand liabilities, not just from debt, but to other liabilities, and to pay attention to the asset side. Because at the end, why are we getting all these liabilities? We have a balance sheet. As a nation, we have a wealth. And the point here is we have also to start looking more to the asset side. Because as was mentioned by Shakira, you do public investment and you create assets. You have to maintain them, but also there's a point for the debt. We have done thus far 28 fiscal transparency evaluations. Fiscal transparency evaluations, we go with the fiscal transparency code and we analyze fiscal reporting, fiscal forecasting and budgeting, and fiscal risk analysis and management. Of the 28 fiscal transparency evaluations, they have all revealed that there are challenges in the three pillars. So there's a lot to do in terms of improving fiscal reporting. And this was mentioned many, many, many times yesterday. We all recognize. This is, these fiscal transparency evaluations have been done mostly in advanced countries. And they have a lot of still room. So this is, this is working programmes for all of us. Uh, fiscal forecasting and budgeting, the, how, how is the budget process linked to the whole system, and what are the issues that we are leaving behind? And, and finally, the fiscal, the fiscal risk analysis and management. As you can see, we have done uh, fiscal transparency evaluations in Mozambique, Tanzania, Kenya, Senegal, and Uganda. Uh, most of them are the East African countries because there's, a, there's an agreement in the in EAC the for all the countries to do the fiscal uh, transparency evaluations, And this is very important because it's telling countries where they need to move on. Where do they need to spend in terms of, of the, the production of information. This I'm not going to go, but this is the, the, the framework that was developed to manage fiscal risks. And b- first is you have to identify them. If you don't know what are your fiscal rates, there's no way you are going to manage. And it's amazing how identification is still so nonexistent in some countries. And the focus here is, and the focus of the TA we are giving is, this needs to be managed by the Ministry of Finance, but this is in coordination with the whole of many actors that are able to, that have the potential uh, Risk of generating fiscal risk, if I may say, so the development of fiscal risk statements, the creations of fiscal risk management units in the ministries of finance, and a lot, a lot of effort to bring the public corporation sectors under this approach. This graph that you can see there is what the Pifram model. Show. The the Pifram model is an Excel 2 and at the end you get a lot of graphs. This is one example of you put one contract, you put it in the framework, and this is what you get. So we have done more than a 40 capacity development activities in Africa, which is very good because countries are saying, I want to understand what I'm going behind. This is a, we, we are training officials, and we are providing them with the capacity to really understand better the contracts they are signing
0: because so yes, yes. leg- so.
5: this you. is just the piMA as Shakira was mentioning this is this has been very very successful we have done 22 PIMAs in Africa so this I mean yesterday when I was here Africa is paying attention to how to improve the public investment management and there's a clear recognition of the linkage between this and the So this is, I see it as a positive factor. The other thing we have learned is that, and I think we all need to learn that, it takes a lot of time for all these institutions to be in place and to work. So we have to start really early in the process, and we have to be realistic of the expectations. Because if we are expecting too much too quickly, we will all get frustrated. And then nobody will really trust the effort that is behind building the institutions. And that's a message that I would like to give to everybody. We do our we do what we can, but countries are doing so much more and recognizing the effort is also very important because you have to have motivation in order to be able to build these institutions. Right. So we this stop, and I don't talk about the balance sheet.
0: Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, indeed. Uh, and I, I think for all of you, for keeping for the time, there's, there's clearly uh, all of you could have could spoke for longer, and hopefully some of that will also come out in the in the questions and uh, answers that we have. So if you're online, please do be sending in your questions. Um, and can we have a first round of questions? I'll take a take a group of them, and then we'll put them to the panel. Um, and Can I just, on the, yes, on the timing. Fine, questions please. And we've got some people with mics, I think, roving mics. Uh, If no one's going to ask, I'm going to ask my colleague too. I'm going to ask, no, sorry, I'm going to ask Toby. Toby, please, ask us a question.
6: Um, Thank you. Uh, My name is Tove Strauss and I manage the Budget Strengthening Initiative in Liberia. Um, and I have a Liberia-specific question. Um, it's, it's become obvious that Liberia is paying a lot of, uh, paying on debt that is not yet uh, executed, so to speak. The project is not up and running, because after you sign, uh, you start paying immediately, but then they have, if it's, a, if it's a loan, they have to get approval from the legislator. And I'm just wondering if this is you. You were talking about the absorptive capacity of projects, uh, etc. So I was just wondering, is this something that's happening in other countries as well? And is there a way for Liberia to, to you know, negotiate with the lenders? And I'm also talking about you know World Bank and and IMF, etc. To and, and ADB and uh, EU and whoever, where you borrow. Uh, maybe not EU, but sorry. Um, when you borrow, uh, and the terms might be the same all around the world, but there might be a specific issue with the Liberia way of, of getting these loans uh, approved by the legislator.
0: Thank you very much, Stubby. Um When you do you introduce yourself, and you want to put a question to a particular member of the panel uh, similar as well, so we had some... Okay, Mike's going to go there
7: and then come across. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Mark Hutton. I also work in Liberia with the Budget Strengthening Initiative. And I want to follow up on a question that was asked yesterday is the link between the technical debt management and the politi- politicians who are making the decisions on managing the debt. So, my question is to the panelists where do you think, at what level in the hierarchy of the government, the debt management technician should be sitting? Um, to be most effective, and what has worked in your countries as far as influencing the the politicians and the decision-makers?
0: Andrew here in front.
7: Uh, Good morning, uh, Andrew Lawson. My question is a little bit on the same theme, and it picks up on the notion of political engagement, which Baba Musa was emphasising and Antoinette emphasised yesterday. And my question is really, which are the tools that can most effectively support political engagement? And I have a worry behind this, Carolina, which is that with the increasing numbers of diagnostic tools, we may be going deeper and deeper into a a technical field and actually losing the politicians. Um, Each of these countries mentioned a medium-term debt strategy, and logically, that's important. But if your medium-term debt strategy is not supported by a medium-term fiscal strategy, which is actually applied, then it's actually useless. I mean, within the first year, your fiscal deficit targets are not being met, your, your, your borrowing is already too high. So uh, I wonder if the panel have any ideas about specific ways of simplifying the technical analysis and creating fiscal anchors or, or some sort of simple uh, measurements that politicians can hang on to and understand. Thank you very
0: much. Yeah. Yes? Uh, I'll take two more questions, So one there and one there, and then we'll...
8: Thanks. Uh, I'm Sivu from South Africa. Uh, I have two questions, if I may. Uh, one directed to to the gentleman from Uganda. Um, I, I think thanks. Thanks first of all for the presentation. I'm wondering how do you balance the cost-risk trade-off? You, you touched on risk indicators such as some 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 refinancing risk measure, and you mentioned, if I heard you correctly, that there's a desire from your side to lengthen the term to maturity. But that would come at a cost, because issuing in the longer end, you incur the cost of borrowing, and perhaps the question is, what matters the most to you? Uh, what's, what's What's your criteria like? Is it to meet the borrowing requirement at whatever cost, or there's a refinancing pro- problem such that you want to lengthen the term to maturity. So how do you balance the two because the objectives, they tend to conflict. Uh, I think one one of the ladies touched on asset and liabilities. I'm not sure if, if I heard correctly, but to what extent can African countries start moving toward a full-blown ALM approach where you match the assets uh, to liabilities? Of course, it would be more applicable if it were uh, an asset portfolio that we were managing, but because it's a debt portfolio and coming up with relevant assets to match the liability portfolio could be problematic. But it's it's something that we would like to move toward in South Africa because we have done something similar to, to the Ugandan approach, but we're still confronted by a ballooning debt portfolio. Thank you.
6: Good morning, my
9: name is Naku Yatma. I work with Sumitomo Mitsui Banking Corporation. We're one of the three Japanese mega banks. Um, and my question is for Shakira Mustafa, because you started to mention there were some good examples of countries that are doing debt management, but you did not uh, complete that example. And I'd be interested in some of the countries that you think are doing well. Thank you. Uh,
0: thank you very much for all those questions. Um, Karen, I, I was wondering if we could start at your end and we'll work back, partly because one of the questions picked up precisely on where you're about to take us to, which was talking about assets and liabilities, um, but also because, as you're the only one on the panel who's actually also been a minister of plan, I thought there was a lot of conversation around the politics and you might want to draw... And then if we just come back across the panel uh, and to ending up, I think, Shakir, there's obviously a particular question for you. And I think there's some particular questions around your know, experiences in uh, Liberia... Um, uh, sorry, in Sierra Leone and in uh, Uganda that might b- inform uh, the questions around Liberia. Carolina, please. Yeah.
5: So so in terms, I, in terms of the linkage between political will and, and, and technical strength, I think they should complement each other. I really think that the stronger the technocrats and the stronger, the, in this case, the ministries of finance, the bigger possibility they have to have a informed dialogue with politicians and really say, this is good or this is bad because A, Y, and C. This does not, of course, means that then they will be taken, that everything they say will be taken into account. But I do think that without, the more we know, the stronger we are in any negotiation. So if you are looking at this from the Ministry of Finance point of view, you should be able to understand your debt dynamics, you should be able to understand your budget, you should be able to understand how you are linking your development plans to your budget. I think this this discussion and the linkage with the PIMAS and the diagnostics and what we mentioned yesterday about DSDGs, if we are really going to achieve that, we really need politicians and, and, and the Ministry of Finance and the sectors to be all in the same place. And for that to happen, you need to be able to have a dialogue. Part of what the PIMA does, it starts with the planning, and the planning is linked to the national development plans, poverty reduction strategies, sectoral plans, you name it as you want. Be la- behind those. Are they ambitious, ambitious of the programs that the government have, of the politicians that are behind the ministries? So you do have to think, I do think of those plans as the way in which you are putting the political interest in, in a paper so that then you can go and plan for it. Plan for it whether you want to make it a public investment or plan for it because you want to expand your amount of teachers or you want to expand your health coverage, all of that I do believe that there's a linkage. So I think part of what we need to understand when we are going as technical assistance providers is move away from just the technical aspect of this and see it in the bigger picture and support the ministries develop the the importance, the the important linkage between the technical work and the political support. If you know your debt numbers, you can go to a debate in parliament and talk about it. And talk about it and convince why you should expand or put a a stop to the debt you are doing. But if you don't have your numbers, then nobody will believe you, starting by citizens. Because this is not only politicians. This is also buying the support of the citizenship because they understand what you are doing. In terms of the balance sheet question, so uh, I just put back there the the balance sheet we just the document, the analysis we just made. We made it for thirty one countries, and in that that slide you can see that five of them are in Africa. One of them is South Africa. So the way this balance sheet was constructed was from the fiscal transparency evaluations. The countries that have had and published fiscal transparency evaluations, we use the information because the first pillar builds a balance sheet which is a compilation of all the available uh, liabilities and assets that are in the central government, the general government, public corporations, and subnational levels. Uh, The message of the fiscal transparency is if you know your assets, you can manage them. We had calculations that you could have 3% of GDP of well-managed assets, 3% of GDP is equivalent to a tax reform. Without uh, <laughs> increasing your taxes, so let's pay attention to the assets. But the other message that was there, one of the countries that was highlighted was the Gambia. We did a balance sheet for the Gambia. We worked with the government. So this is the message: is even in low, in countries that have low amount of information, you can start building this, and that is the approach we want. You start with very low information, but even there, you can start doing this kind of analysis. Yes.
4: Sure. Um, I'll start with the question that was specifically directed to me in terms of good examples. Uh, so I'll give three country examples. I'm going to start with Rwanda because sp- that was mentioned a lot yesterday. In terms of what has helped Rwanda in terms of managing their debt is that they've been very good at selecting strategic projects that c- actually contribute to the growth and export diversification. And that's part of it because they have a very long plan and comprehensive public investment strategy. But we all know you got Rwanda is a bit unique. So what are some exa- other examples from the continent? Ghana. They had a problem with local projects in terms that a third of those projects were, never complete, were not completed. This is based on a 2017 study. And those projects accounted for one-fifth of all capital spending. And the reason for the projects weren't completed is because political leaders were unable to sustain bargain- bargains over project distribution over over, uh, over years. And as I mentioned, when there's a change in political leadership, sometimes what that person reproved, you don't continue. So what they did is that they said uh, for any uh, aid-funded grant project, there was one simple rule. Existing projects had to be completed before new funds are dispersed. And as a result, aid finance projects were able to um, have a significantly high, higher completion rate as a result. So that's Ghana. My third example is Botswana. We actually have the debt official from Botswana here. So if you, if you have time, find her and talk to her. So basically, uh, there's a rapid growth Sorry, of-
0: Is she, is the person
4: here? Is she, mm-hmm. Ms. Peters, are you here? Maybe recovering from last night. We had a lovely dinner.: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. okay, So but we'll also stand up
0: so people can find Yes.
4: So just in Rwanda, rapid growth of government re- revenue from diamonds, and as a result, the, the government wanted to ramp, ramp, use this revenue to ramp up public investment. But they recognized that the construction sector was, had very limited capacity. So what did they do? They, they, they didn't just draw up this wish list of ambitious plans. Uh, they had a plan, but they actually regularly consulted the local construction industry to find out what was feasible, and if something wasn't feasible, how can we make it feasible? And that's the kind of, you know, that wasn't the PFM system alone. That was, that was the Ministry of Finance going beyond and working with the actual implementers, and that had a, that had a positive effect on in, in implementation. And finally, just in terms of Andrew's questions, in terms of diagnostics, and, you know, is it becoming too technical and needing to be more political – Uh, Carolina spoke about it um, briefly, but I think, you know, there's all these these tools. There's a PIFA, which is for public financial management. There's PIMA for public investment um, management. There's DEMPA for debt management. Governments are getting exhausted with all these diagnostic tools that are telling them, you have a problem in everything. So, really, what uh, technicians have to be skilled at is explaining to government, this is why you need to care about this from the start. And, see, and linking it to governments' priorities, a lot of governments they do want to complete their projects. You know that makes them look good as well, right? So you have to recognize that, and you have to link it to to government prior, um, priorities and also understand how local institutions work. So who do you need to talk to to, to get buy-in? So that's all I'll say. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah,
0: uh, Barbara. Just before I come to you, I just want to put. Uh Uh, Geoffrey and uh, Godfrey and Charles on notice because we have an online question for the two of you. So the question is from David Mahalia. Mahali? I'm not sure I've got the pronunciation right. I'm sorry. Um, The question is what role did natural resources play in driving debt accumulation? Uh, Are there any thoughts on the potential and risk from resource-backed loans, especially from China? So that was the question just to you two. So I thought I should just give you notice (laughs) before I come to that. But first thank you very much
3: um i have i think two uh, questions uh, relating to uh, my presentation one uh, has to do with uh, what liberia um, is, is paying um, when uh, the loan is not yet approved uh, generally i think it's again the issue of uh, partly capacity uh, building and knowing exactly what to do uh, before signing a loan agreement <coughs> uh, donors I mean creditors always argue that um, uh, you have to pay a commitment fee because uh, for you to borrow I mean to borrow from them um, they will have to commit the funds of uh, from where they of course source it to to to, uh, to make sure that you are going to utilize the fund and so uh, the issue. This is where it brought uh, the the issue of a uh, medium-term debt management strategy uh, come to 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 uh, fore. So before you, you sign a commitment uh, with a donor or a creditor, at least you should be able to uh, you know incorporate uh, your your fiscal policy uh, yeah. with 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 um, the the debt policy. I mean, that, yes, the the uh, debt policy. But I think uh, if the Liberian officials are, are, are well trained or share information with uh, the, their colleagues, uh, I think they should be able to to, to get a sound practice in, in this kind of uh, arrangement. So what we did, uh, what we are doing from WFM side, is to organize uh, be organizing a a debt management forum where we bring all the debt managers together once a year. Uh, to share uh, pra- uh, sound practices and information on creditor practices and uh, we we did the first two and we have seen a great improvement uh, in in uh, coordination among debt managers and of course providing information among creditor practices that I think uh, uh, is helping in in the way forward uh, th- there's another key question on the political the, politica- the how how to engage the political uh, authorities? You know why I brought that uh, discussion was uh, before uh, coming here. I was in another one of the country, one of our countries, uh, assisting them them in uh, debt management, uh, sustainability debt sustainability analysis, and uh, one <coughs> of the issues that came uh, was uh, we were applying the new DSF leak uh, tool, and uh, in the realism tool, uh, the projections that were made for. Uh, revenue, uh in the fiscal uh, area. the realism tool actually flag uh, will query the, the projections that we, we, we did. so we had to bring uh, the members from the revenue generating authorities to query and query the, the, the projections that they did. They came with a very sound fiscal framework which did fantastic uh, medium term projections that were much lower than the uh, revenue numbers they gave us. And uh, when we asked them, they said, "Well, this is what the tool brought, and we have been using it over uh, several years." But we took the results to uh, our minister to approve, and he told us that, uh, "Well, uh, this revenue projection is much lower than last year's uh, uh, revenue. What we had in the budget, we cannot go back to the president and tell him that uh, we cannot afford to to get uh, uh, put this revenue or recommend this revenue. So do some." engineering and find a way <laughs> of, uh, you know, uh, incorporating uh, this. But we, we have seen that it was not uh, r- r- realistic. So we had to, you know, think o- how do we then uh, approach uh, this kind of thing. And uh, what we found is that the, the, the best way is to, to also build the capacity of the legislatures to, to, to query this kind of uh, uh, activities, because ultimately, even if you prepare a budget, uh, they have the ultimate responsibility of approving the budget. And if they can ask certain key questions and technical questions that they can query, I think it will put the political authorities in, in check. But Nigeria did one thing uh, with the support of African Capacity Building Foundation and the African Development Bank in recent time, They have established uh, uh, what they call uh, Institute of Legislative Studies, which we found very, very productive in the region. So what they do is that now when they have legislatures, uh, they train the legislatures in, in that I- institute of <coughs> uh, legislative studies on basic macroeconomic management and essential things to do in budget pro- uh, preparation and process, including debt management strategy. In fact, I have uh, in two days' time I will be going there to, to uh, discuss with uh, the uh, legislatures in Nigeria on how to prepare a debt management strategy or the basic thing to look out for. When a debt management strategy is prepared, so we found this to be very, very uh, productive and effective in, you know, engaging the the political authorities. But that is not enough because addressing the legislatures is one, but also building the capacity of the ministers is another important thing. And I have seen that. Me, me organize what they call a forum for a combined forum for ministers of finance and uh, governors of central banks, and we see that as a good platform also to at least uh, engage the political uh, authorities, especially the ministers of finance, in certain key things. So I think these are ways that uh, will improve um, the political commitment. But we also (laughs) have uh, the donors' side. The donors need also to uh, contribute in this area. Uh, We have uh, heard about the DEMPA, the Debt Management Performance Assessment Tool, which is not supposed to be a conditionality tool. But in many cases, it brings uh, strength and weaknesses of uh, debt management in countries. And uh, not all countries are committed to you know, publishing this kind of uh, uh, diagnostic uh, information. So donors should find a way of engaging the countries to at least publish those things, so that technical service providers and the donor community themselves will know the areas of weaknesses in, in, in countries. So this can help the donors themselves to also engage with the political authorities. In addressing key of areas of
2: uh, capacity building needs. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, for me, well, I just want to um, cue, take a cue on the, the political, mm. the nexus between uh, tech, the technicians and the political class. Mm. How to guarantee that? I, for Leon, for, for, for I think, firstly, it comes by what I refer to as luck, okay, mm. to guarantee the, the, the commitment from the highest level. It is by luck or by blessings, all right? Mm. Because, take for instance what happened quite recently when the former the former because we we recently had our elections there's a new administration uh, um, in place okay but the, the the there was this loan that was contracted uh, with the chinese okay for 200 million dollars to finance a, uh, an airport a new airport, okay that has been on the table for the past 4 years even though the loan was signed in 2000 and, 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 and 15 mm-hmm. there about it was not actually um, ratified by parliament mm-hmm. because for the past 3 years we have been flagging that in our dsc that if we proceed with that, it will lead us to a high risk of debt distress. But nevertheless, the past administration had to, had to ratify it. But mm-hmm. well, when this new government came, I mean, based on uh, um, um, technical advice, if we had to proceed with it, then of course it will pose serious challenges in terms of the sustainability. Mm-hmm. So His Excellency the President, they had to withdraw from the deal. So that was commitment at the highest level. It goes beyond the Minister of Finance, because the Minister of Finance is answerable to the president. So you may cajole him, you may do your technical gymnastics, and present a nice case to, to the ministers. But he has to take it to his boss. So that's why I say it's by blessing you to guarantee political reform at the highest level. For me, that's, that, that's the key thing. But also what has helped us um, over the years is we bring into the mixed um, civil society organization. The last DSA we had, Baba was there. There was a civil society representative in, in the room. So we did the analysis together, and they, they, they are involved. So they take the message out there. And also the audit service, Okay, that they, they, they of course, in terms of auditing the process, fiscal management, they have to put out reports. You have to strengthen them of the audit service. So once the reports are out there in the public, then, of course, you, 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 as, a, as, a, as a government, you want to, 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 to win the favor of the electorate. So they advise you to do what is right, I think, with the support of the civil society organization, all these service, I think that will guarantee some level of political accommodation. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a lock. Mm-hmm. It's luck and, and by blessing. Mm-hmm. Then, also, in terms of, well, let me go directly to the mm-hmm. question being posed from, from uh, online. What role did natural resources play in driving debt accumulation? I mean, Sierra is a typical example, even though the economy is small, but we are heavily commodity dependent. In 2011, 2012, when um, the iron ore boom, boom, boom was triggered, we were at a very comfortable level of moderate risk of debt distress, mm-hmm. because there were a rosy uh, projection in terms of exports. Um, exports expo- export was peaking, um, then the uh, 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 related revenue. Mm-hmm. So we have this uh, very sound macroeconomic uh, uh, path, projected path. But by 2014, 2015, when the uh, 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 price of community dropped, automatically everything was thrown out of the window but by then government had signed so many contracts so many exposure the road sector um, um, agricultural sector by end of 2017 the domestic um, surplus areas was 1.5 billion dollars almost 30% of gdp how are we going to finance that with, with this continuous uh, uh, this suppressed uh, global uh, uh, iron ore prices so it's a challenge so that's in itself I mean, I was talking about diversification, which is key. Mm-hmm. But then again, how to finance these various sectors to support this and, and diversification and drive. So that's what's a concern. So for me, basically, it's, it's, we have to be critical in terms of how we approach fiscal management going forward. Diversification is the key. And also build capacity across all the relevant sectors you know, to hold, help us uh, push in that particular direction.
0: Thank, Thank you so it. much. Yeah. Go free.
2: Thank you very much. I'll be quick. Uh, this has been talked about.
1: Uh, in terms of uh, link between the technocrats and the politicians, the systems are already in place. We have uh, top technical meetings, we have top uh, management, there's a cabinet, then uh, they go to parliament. But outside that, we also hold meetings. Just last week, we had to organize a meeting with the uh, members of parliament and uh, responsible ministers. Uh, It was a retreat for two, three days. Uh, My friend Emmanuel there uh, attended. So that uh, we talked outside the parliamentary or national assembly where there is uh, tension. We freely had to educate each other on uh, debt causes and also way forward. On terms of tools, I also feel we have adequate tools Uh, in Uganda. We have the budget framework paper. This has already now reached the uh, cabinet. We are about to do the debt sustainability analysis. And with uh, provision approvals so far, before it reaches even a, uh, parliament, or even when we, it is with the parliament, before parliament approves, on the basis of that, we shall take uh, uh, informed decisions on uh, which way to go uh, in terms of uh, debt sustainability uh, analysis. Uh, my colleague from South Africa, I can't agree with you more. This is, these are the challenges when we are looking at a uh, uh, portfolio analysis, when you are doing the cost-risk uh, analysis, how do we balance the two? We're trying to limit our financing by going for long-term uh, uh, securities, but the long-term securities also result into big interest uh, uh, costs and so on. Uh, of course, what we do uh, during the MTDS is to come up with uh, different scenarios scenarios where some of these uh, uh, challenges, some of our costs uh, are covered, and then we come up with aggregate uh, results scenario by scenario. But to really target this challenge, because it is there, we're trying to get it into reforms. Our uh, domestic markets are still uh, shallow, so we're trying to uh, We've already uh, adopted, the, adopted the single pricing. Uh, we're also now trying to do second phase of uh, uh, reforming the primary dealership. Uh, we're trying to go the Kenya way of uh, uh, mobilizing investments from uh, retail investors through mobile money. and We're trying to use their their model. We're also trying to uh, uh, liberalize or open up or reform the Pension fund with a lot of political resistance, but uh, uh, we're trying to get there so that we address the uh, financial viability of the domestic sector, which we feel should be able to bring down the uh, interest costs. Uh, On the last one, online, uh, this is true. Uh, uh, As we recklessly, if we are to recklessly handle resources, then we shall affect. the exports, which shall affect uh, production, which uh, shall, uh, shall affect taxation, uh, uh, which shall affect, which want to be able to finance. In the case of Uganda, one example is on the lakes. People had gone reckless to fish all the young uh, fish until government took political decision and uh, deployed their military. Uh, so this has saved the lakes. A number of uh, fishery fisher plants had closed. Uh, As we talk, more than 10 have reopened. So we need to be careful with resources.
0: Um, Thank you very much indeed. Uh, We have run almost exactly to time. It's uh, one minute to go before the coffee. I just wanted to take this chance. It's not often that ODI has two former ministers of finance sitting in the room, uh, one of whom um, is... Of uh, course, going to come to speak to us at lunchtime, and you may want to reflect on the questions that have been asked. But I thought there's some definite questions there around how you manage the the politics. But Antoinette, do you just want to give us any last reflection of how you manage dealing with the presidents and uh, this political nexus, and not just the technical? Would you just like to give us you know, a closing thought on that one before we go off to coffee? And.
9: Um. You know, I'd I just repeat what I said yesterday uh, in the context of the speech and then the discussion questions that uh, came up around that. Clearly, um, technicians have quite a, a challenge uh, at times in in really making their very good technical work influence policy making. And uh, I think there's certainly a role for the top in signaling that the work of technicians is valuable and. Uh, There's also a role of uh, partners in uh, doing the same to the politicians when they engage with the politicians. Uh, There's uh, outreach, as as you've heard from others, can be useful, Um, but in the final analysis, it's really whether, uh, you know, your back is protected by the president uh, when you're Minister of Finance that matters. If uh, the president signals that uh, this is a priority, typically, typically, people, people fall in line. So that, to me, uh, was what helped us to move forward in Liberia, because we were all aligned on one objective in the immediate aftermath of the war, that was to clear our arrears and to get new financing. And everybody had to play ball on that, and um, I was supported in that regard. But there are times when others, of course, try to influence the president, and you have to be uh, strong enough to push back and to push back and tell the president that this is what is at stake Uh, when, uh, as a politician, politicians become politicians sometimes, so, and look for scapegoats. You have to also realize that ministers of finance are convenient scapegoats. You sometimes have to play that role to get beyond that and to to see what you can buy with being a scapegoat sometimes.
0: Thank you very much indeed for that that final.
9: Please, can you join me in
0: thanking our panel and wish them all the very best as they go back to their day jobs. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes.